What's the easiest choice you can make? Window instead of middle seat? Picking a vendor who sends a great gift basket? Outsourcing business tasks you hate? What about selling with Shopify? Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage? Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash try. Go to shopify.com slash try now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash try. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Save big on your Memorial Day barbecue, all in the Kroger app. Get three-pound rolls of juicy 80% lean ground beef for $3.49 a pound with a digital coupon. Then get select varieties of flavorful Powerade, Body Armor Super Drink, or Arizona Tea for 77 cents each, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. Attention BetMGM customers. Have a friend who loves sports as much as you do? Here's a chance for both of you to earn a $50 bonus when they sign up through BetMGM's Refer-A-Friend program. Just sign into your BetMGM account and click on the Refer-A-Friend program to send your friend a message inviting them to register a new account in the same state you use BetMGM in. Once your friend signs up and makes a deposit, they'll receive a $50 bonus. And once your friend places a bet with their bonus and the wager is settled, you'll receive a $50 bonus as well. Share the excitement and get a $50 bonus every time you refer a friend to BetMGM. Visit BetMGM.com for terms and conditions. Must be 21 years of age or older to wager. Ohio only. New and existing customer offer. All promotions are subject to qualification and eligibility requirements. Rewards issued as non-withdrawable bonus bets. Bonus bets expire in 30 days. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM Northfield Park. Nobody builds 5G like Verizon builds 5G because we're the engineers who built the most reliable network in America. And the more you do with 5G, the more building it right matters. The more your network matters. The more Verizon engineers going the extra mile matters. It's us pushing us. It's Verizon versus Verizon. 5G built right from America's most reliable network. Most reliable based on rankings from RootMetric's second half 2020 U.S. report of three mobile networks. Results may vary. Award is not an endorsement. At Lowe's, we're your go-to for great gardening values every day. That's why we've lowered our price on select bagged mulch. Now starting at just $2.88 a bag. Mulch helps prevent weeds and retains moisture. And when you put it down around trees, shrubs, and flower beds, you'll see how beautiful it makes your outdoor space. Just in time to welcome back family and friends. Shop online and pick up in store. Lowe's, home to the best part of summer. Selection and product availability vary by location. While supplies last, U.S. only. Excludes Alaska and Hawaii. Hi folks, welcome to another episode of Film Study. This is Ken McCusick. We finally come to the last of the draft preview episodes, and this is a big one. The Edge Preview with Michael Crawford. Michael, how you doing? I'm doing great, Ken. Glad to be back on. Um, happy to be here for the, the final draft preview. And yeah, this this Edge class, it's it's a good, good group. Uh, a lot of good looking prospects, in my opinion. So uh, I'm, I'm excited to talk about them. Pretty cool group, too. Uh, not really an hourglass group like we see a lot of the time where, where some particular round is then. I think it's pretty strong 
you know, kind of four prospects per round for the first three rounds as I would see it. Uh, you know, they, they've, they've, they've fairly even draft class. Definitely not like the defensive line where if you don't get the top guy, you might be out of luck. Or some other positions where there's a few guys and then there's not anybody for a couple of rounds. This is a, this is a very solid edge class. Yeah, I think if you just look across um, it, it's some of the guys who do projections for, for rounds, whether it's um, Daniel Jeremiah or Dane Brugel, you know, whoever, whichever person you like, you see pretty quality prospects into the sixth and seventh round. I mean, even some guys listed as priority free agents. If you're talking about like mm-hmm. your Josh Kandos or Janarius Robinsons from Florida, so, I mean, you, mm-hmm. you, you go pretty deep with this class. Yeah, Kendo dropping the UDFA status. You think it'll go that far? I don't, but I'm seeing yeah. some people who do projections. Who I, you know, I, it's hard for you just to get me to do a list. You know, I'm not doing projections. <laughs> so, uh, I, I'm just talking about what I've seen from other folks. All right, my friend. Uh, I'm sure everybody's happy to hear you back on. Let's go jump right into it at the top of our list with your number one guy. My number one guy is Aziz Ojulari out of Georgia. Six um, two. 249, I think, at his pro day. Put up some pretty pretty solid numbers uh, across the board. I think the thing that I like about him the most um, and the game that really sticks in my mind from watching him was the Alabama game. Mm-hmm. And, and it wasn't so much the pass rush stuff that caught my eye. It was run defense. And so, you know, Alabama, pro-style running game, you know, they do mm-hmm. gap scheme zone, stuff like that. So it's a couple of, of gap scheme runs, pulls, right, where you're, you're, you're pulling a guard. And I think most people who follow college football, you know, they know Alabama. They know probably some of their old linemen. Deontay Brown is built like a house, right, mm-hmm. an absolute house. He's probably got 100 pounds on Aziz Ojolari. <laughs> two, two giant offensive tackles who are yeah. both pro prospects. And when they would pull to his side, and, you know, his job is to kind of take that block on and kind of set that edge or spill it, depending on how they want to, how they, how they coach it. But it looked like he was kind of setting a hard edge. And he was just standing Deontay Brown up. Like you would think a guy who maybe doesn't have anywhere near um, the weight, obviously he's, he's 6'2", so he's not a super tall guy either, would, would be moved on that block. And he wasn't. And it was on both sides, whether he was on the left side and there was a right guard coming his way or whether he was on the right side and there was a left guard coming his way. And he would just stand, absolutely stand those blocks up. <laughs> and that's what first caught my eye. I was like, man, this guy, even though he looks to be a little undersized for kind of the edge position, he is a physical, physical dude. So then I watch more and you look at the pass rush stuff and you're like, all right, he's got a pretty good rush plan. Uh, that same violence uh, and physicality you see in the run game, you see in pass rush. I mean, when he's when he's trying to get a blocker's hands off him, it's like he's looking to break bone. Yes, it's a, it's a he's an interesting guy to me. I I don't have the same. Um, exclusive positive on him as a run defender. I think he actually will have problems at the next level under being under 250 pounds. There's nobody in this class other than maybe Agilari who who really is a undersized edge. There's no James Harrison's, first of all. There's nobody who's six feet and, and can get into anybody's pads and make a six eight tackle look like crap. Um, but this is a guy who also has that great arm length, can dictate a little bit of first contact at the line of scrimmage. Now, people always know I'm going to go for the arm length thing, too. But the other thing you love is that it looks like he has some of the traits to be a Sam linebacker. Yeah. Yeah. He moves well. He moves well in space. Uh, Not something he was asked to do a ton at Georgia, but there are a couple of plays, more than a couple. There there are a number of plays where you can see him kind of drop into coverage. And just the way that he moves, he looks very fluid. He looks very natural. You know, you watch some guys do it, and they look stiff. Uh, They look very uncomfortable being in that much space, being that far away from the line of scrimmage. And he didn't look like that at all. So uh, didn't really – I think I watched three games, and I can't – recall seeing like a man coverage sort of opportunity to just see, you know, sort of what he looked like in, in, in that situation. But in terms of dropping into zone, you know, sort of like the curl flat or the hook, sort of shallow hook, sort of a hot zone, uh, he seemed very comfortable doing that. Mm-hmm. And that's that's really in the Ravens offense. That's most of what he would have to do. There's not any complex coverages. He would rarely have to run down the field in man or against a tight end or anything like that. Uh, he's it's it, it's mostly a short middle zone with lateral movement involved, which is going to cut off a passing lane. 
and allow for other players to rush the quarterback. So uh, good things there. Uh, lots of things to like about him otherwise, but uh, why don't we move on? I'll, uh, my number one guy is uh, Jalen Phillips of Miami. And uh, I liked I liked Ajilari. I had him at number two, and I think he'd be a great pick for the Ravens. By the way, at twenty seven, Jalen Phillips I like as well, though, and I like him better than Gregory Rousseau. Uh, I think there's a little bit more mobility there in terms of uh, some unreal testing numbers. But what really caught my eye on the film are the head fakes, mm-hmm. and I, I you know if you if you watch him. He kind of takes a half step, and he can do it outside or inside, but I, I noticed it more of him doing it outside where he puts a little bit of a head flip attached to about a half step to the outside, then he breaks inside it very, very effective. Can leave tackles, you know, just with, with air doing that. Yeah, defensive line coaches, outside linebacker coaches, they, you, know, you know how football is. There's tons of terminology, but you see a lot of people call that a free step. And so, yeah, so so part of the thought process is as the tackle is setting, if he is square or his shoulders are somewhat closed to you, you're trying to get him. You want to get an edge, right? You mm-hmm. want to turn his shoulders and you want to get an edge outside or inside. So you're trying to get him to kind of soften that way and you want him to settle his feet. And so you give that little jab step, freeze step, whether it's in or out and get him to settle his feet one way or the other. And then you go the opposite way. Um, so you see a lot of guys uh, who, who have, you know, a good understanding of how to rush use it. I want to say like everybody's doing it, but you see Phillips uh, definitely has a really good understanding of how to use that. It seems like it's, it's a leverage reading uh, skill because you really have to wait to punch back in the other direction until the guy's got his foot in the air or has his uh, entire weight shifted in the wrong direction to get the kind of whiffs. He, he produced during this season. Uh, just he's, he's very impressive. And for a guy that big to be a finesse guy, I mean, he's 6'5", 260. We're talking a little bit smaller, but not too much smaller than Jalen Ferguson in terms of size. And, uh, you know, he's a, he's a reasonable length guy at 33 and a quarter, not an extreme length guy. Uh, but but he, he's not a guy who depends on the bull rush at that size. He's more of a finesse player. Kind of reminds me of when Joe Smith was at Maryland. This is a long time ago for people, but he was an enormous basketball player who was more of a finesse player than a power player. Yeah, yeah, he he moves like a smaller man. Uh, for like you said, for a guy six five two sixty, who moves as fluidly as he does, obviously like a lot of these guys this year, he tested really well. But it shows up on tape too. You can go watch the game against Clemson and see him track down Trevor Lawrence. And you know, people may say, well, Trevor Lawrence, you know, he's he's no Mike Vick, but he runs well for mm-hmm. for for uh, you know a taller quarterback. And and Phillips, man, it 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 looked like a a, a leopard out on the. <laughs> Savannah or something like that, chasing this guy down. Um, I think for me, what's interesting about him is he probably would be closer to like a consensus number one guy in this class if it wasn't for his medical injury history. Mm -hmm. I think that's probably the biggest knock. And look, guys are going to have you know, sort of different histories with that when it comes to injuries and stuff. But I think what really worries people about him is the three, you know, diagnosed concussions at the college level where he actually had to medically retire because Mm -hmm. the training staff at UCLA, he started out at UCLA before transferring to Miami. They wouldn't clear him. They wouldn't clear, they wouldn't medically clear him to play. And they suggested that he retire. And he actually did for a little bit. Um, He enrolled in um, in a school and I think he was he was majoring in music. He's a big time music guy, Uh, wants to be a producer and that kind of thing. He's on record saying that it's his first passion, even above football. Uh, He loves football, but he said music is his first passion. I know that probably makes you think of somebody. I won't bring up the name. Uh, Former Raven player. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Uh, But in addition to the concussions, um, he, you know, he had an ankle injury. He had a pretty severe wrist injury where he was like in a moped accident. And I think he had to get two or three bones removed from his wrist. Uh, So he's, he's got a pretty documented injury history but aside from that if you look at what you see on the field now look obviously he got cleared to play at Miami and that's a whole nother discussion how do you go from one set of doctors saying you should retire from football to the other set oh, now you're good come on go out there and play. that's a whole nother <laughs> especially story. since he probably had two opinions at, UC, at uh, UCLA yeah so that's a whole nother story but anyway what you see on the field which is what we have to talk about you know we're not doctors and we not we're not privy to any of the medical evaluation stuff what you see on the field is very impressive 
All right. How far down did you drop him on your list? Uh, I have him at three. Okay. So, so let's two. go to your number two guy. Number two, Quiddy Pay, University of Michigan. And he is just, if you look at him, his body type, right, it looks like a Raven's edge rusher. Maybe, mm-hmm. maybe not so much in terms of height. Maybe he'd be an inch or two taller for kind of like their prototypical guy in that 6'3", 6'4", range. He's closer to 6'2". Uh, but I want to say he's about 260. I think that's, that's right. where he was at. And, again, tested pretty well. And another thing that I like about him is, so he played in Don Brown's defense. Don Brown was Michigan's uh, defensive coordinator before he was released. I think he's out there at Arizona now. I think he's Arizona's defensive coordinator. And I got a chance to listen to him do a clinic. So he's at Arizona, but, you know, they, they hadn't started playing games or anything like that. So as part of his clinic, he's using some examples of guys from Michigan. And the two guys he uses is Josh Uche and Quiddy Pay. Mm-hmm. And he called Quiddy Pay the best spread run game defender in the country mm-hmm. because of his what he called this is this is his his phrasing now. I don't I don't like to use this word a ton myself, but he said he has elite change of direction. He was like, that's the first thing he noticed when he started watching him at high school and it carried over into Michigan. And they play a system, this is the last sort of positive thing I'll say about him. They played a system there where they don't do a ton of straight rushing, right? A lot of movement. A lot mm-hmm. of games, a lot of pressures. And that, that was kind of one thing that really made me think, man, this guy could be a good fit for what the Ravens do. Yeah, I mean, I, I would agree completely on the stunts. Obviously, at 457, he's got a speed advantage over almost anybody in the draft class. There's a few guys that are, that are in that class. One guy who's remarkably faster. I saw a rumor that he ran a 637 three-cone in 2020. Mm-hmm. It was not measured in this set of testing. Um, that speaks to that change of direction. I don't completely believe it, but I do believe it might have been under seven seconds, given uh, you know the vera- the strength which with the which with, with which the uh, claim was made. Uh, it just it, that would be absurd. It's so far out of line with anything we'd ever seen from an edge rusher. That uh, I mean, what's the best you ever see from an edge rusher in the six eights? Maybe. Yeah, six eighths, maybe. Like if you see a real freak, maybe like a six seven. Mm-hmm. Okay, so uh, I think that one of the things about Pay that I liked was that he's not a completely polished pass rusher. So sure, he has some of those basic skills. He has the change of direction. He has the speed. He has the ability to get under people's pads, which that that maybe is an element of polish. But he doesn't have all these moves that you see from certain players. Like one of the reasons to grade down Phillips would be the fear that this polished ability to head fake the opponent would be something that he's not going to grow in the NFL. He can't make it any better. Um, well, anyway, I, I don't see that out of pay. And I think he, for that reason, I liked him uh, near the top of my list anyway, as well. Yeah, that's a good point. Uh, and I think some of that probably can be because of the system that he played in, because they did so much movement and they were a part of so many games. Sometimes that's so much about getting to a particular place Right. Mm-hmm. More so than, you know, what you do with your hands. Not that he didn't use his hands, but I mean, like you said, you're, you're not looking at this deep, deep toolbox of rush moves like club rip, club swim, mm-hmm. stab, bull. You know, there's all these different terms you can throw around. But I like to use that toolbox analogy. Right. And I think about certain guys, especially with pass rushers, you think about these toolboxes that you see, you know, in, in somebody's garage who's like really into working on their car. Uh-huh. These big stand up toolboxes, they're on wheels and they got all these drawers and they might have like a Bluetooth speaker. They got all this stuff. Right. <laughs> but then you open it and the guy's got like one or two tools. Right. So he's got this huge toolbox, but he only has one or two things. He knows how to use them pretty well, but that's all he's got. And then you may see another guy who's kind of got old school sort of black and decker toolbox regular size got a little handle a little flip top on it but it is busting with tools like there's so much stuff coming out of there and he's really good with all of them knows exactly what to do with all of them so i look at pass rushers kind of in those two buckets you got the guys who got a lot of room in the toolbox to add tools and of course there's no guarantee that they'll do that but the Mm -hmm. potential is there and then you got the other guys who maybe are going to show up day one with you know, three, four, maybe even five tools that they can use right from the beginning and can use them pretty comfortably. Um, and so it's just a matter of, you know, what do you like? What's your preference? Do you want the What's deep it? toolbox or... And, and that's a, it's a really legitimate concern is which way you like. Obviously, the, the Ravens only really will get the value out of this player for four or perhaps five years. 
You know, they, there are some frictions which allow them to keep the player for longer if they're willing to pay for it. But the real value comes in those first initial years. So it pays to have a developed toolbox. But then you often also will have to overpay for that, I always say, in terms of draft capital, if you don't have any development left at the pro level. Yeah, I agree. I agree with that. I'm, I lean towards the big toolbox with room to add more tools. I, I, that's just of course. <laughs> how, how I lean. <laughs> I, I lean to every ice cream flavor there is and then sprinkles on top. <laughs> no, it's, I, I like the guys who, and I will probably, there's one guy who I think really fits this, who I know we'll probably talk about, where I think he's got one of those big fancy toolboxes. Not a lot in it right now, but there's a lot of room to add stuff. All right. Uh, and that was your number two guy. Ajalari is my number m- number two guy. So your number three guy was Jalen Phillips. So since we already okay. talked about him, m- my number three guy Gregory Rousseau, also of Miami, six seven two sixty six, ran a four sixty eight forty. Uh, always loved the arm length, at thirty four and three eighths here. What is probably more impressive about him is that that first step kind of reminds me a little bit of, of McPhee in some way. If he, he can rush from the inside, when he does, he crosses a guard's face like that. Uh, he can dictate first contact with that kind of length as well, which is the, the icing on the cake to making an A-gap move, or a B-gap move for that matter, if you want to go between guard and, guard and tackle sometimes, uh, to create havoc on the defensive line. So I liked him a lot. Uh, had, a, had a lot of sacks as a freshman. Opted out in 2020. Uh, he did just turn 23. I uh, don't think he really has the NFL strength yet. He did 21 bench reps. But when I look at that, I also say, well, look at that arm length. And that's kind of okay at that level. Yeah, and I, I've got him in terms of age. I've got him at 21. I've got him. Uh, I'm sorry. I just turned 21. I'm sorry. He yeah. just did just turn 21. That's correct. Young guy. But he's one of those guys to me where he could be in that big toolbox. Uh, you know, a lot of depth in the toolbox range because you can see it in the way that he moves and you kind of just touched mm-hmm. on it. But he played wide receiver and linebacker in high school. He didn't move to defensive end to his senior year of high school. So he played that position one year in high school, uh, came to Miami and got injured his his true freshman year. So he played Mm -hmm. two games. So 2019, that's it, right? He's basically Mm -hmm. got two years playing defensive end. And you saw how they used him. Like you said, sometimes he'd rush off the edge. Sometimes they'd, they'd kick him inside, and he'd play like three technique or head up on the center. And those guys just couldn't handle him inside. I mean, he just mm-hmm. had too much length, too much quickness. He'd just get right past those guys. Um, so I know there's some people who, who are like, well, I don't know. It's, it's a projection. He's raw. Well, yeah, he just only played the position for basically two years, and then he opted out of 20, 2020. But, man, there's a lot of room in that box, and uh, it's, it's, pretty, it's pretty enticing. Yeah, he'll go pretty high. I imagine he'll still go in the first round of of these guys. So uh, uh, he was my number three guy. Who's your number four guy? My number four guy is Carlos Basham uh, from Wake Forest. I probably have him a little higher up than maybe some other people. But again, to me, he's that that body type, right? The, the Ravens have, have tended to favor sort of the bigger body type edge guys. He's 6'3", 274. Uh, at his pro day another guy though who moves in some ways you know like a smaller uh, a smaller guy but another guy like Russo who played uh, high school and you know who played on offense in high school he's a running back uh, before he switched over to the defensive side and so he sort of moves that way but he's a he's a big guy that I actually think can bend relatively well I mean not not great not great mm-hmm. but I remember when she, I remember watching a, a 2019 game uh, they played against Louisville. So he had a couple matchups against uh, Makai Becton, who, you know, the Jets took pretty high up at the top of the draft. And he was able to kind of, you know, get get a couple of reps against him. Didn't play against him the whole game, but there were a couple of reps there. And there was one, I probably even tweeted it out at some point, where I kind of just showed the whole clip and then kind of froze a certain point. And you look at the bend that he sort of displayed there to get underneath Beckton. Now, the QB got the ball yeah. out before he could get to him, but to see a man that size, 6'3", 274, kind of bend the way that he did, um, he, he's, he's a, a, a guy who plays with a lot of physicality, as you would expect mm-hmm. from a man of his size. I think he can get a little upright at times, sometimes in, 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 in terms of his pad level, and I don't know that he's got a real consistent rush plan, but he plays with a lot. There's a lot of kinetic energy. It's a lot of movement, <laughs> you know, but I think there's definitely some room to refine some of that movement. 
Yeah, it keeps his hands moving. I mean, it's 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 definitely a positive, and and I think that he probably certainly has the size to be the edge player. I think he needs to be a little bit more focused on that, and uh, and really try and move the guy opposite him. We'll see if he can if he can make that work against NFL tackles. They're going to outweigh him by fifty pounds plus. So uh, you know, I, I think you know he has that in in the repertoire. Certainly, what he did at the college level, I, it's it's hard to find anything wrong with it. Big time get the football guy and you know you you have several of these in every class but you, there's, if there's a guy you really stood out in this class it's Basham in, in terms of really understanding the need for that club move and 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 getting the quarterback and and, and punching that football loose not just getting the sack so uh, I think if the red flag about him is it'll be 24 in December yep. so if you get him um, you're probably getting a guy who sh- already has his grown man strength which is good but you're also getting a guy who's not going to be as valuable come that second contract. And whether you get him or somebody else gets him, you want him to be valuable for that second contract. And so a player like Rousseau uh, has to be ahead of him on my list just for that three-year age difference. Yeah, he's the guy more of that Black & Decker toolbox, right? It's not quite as big, mm-hmm. but it's got a bunch of tools that he can use in it right now. You know, mm-hmm. he's, he's, he's comfortable with those tools. And, man, you talk about that get the football and that backfield production. I, I think I saw a stat from October 2018 to October 2020, 23 games, right, 23 straight games with mm-hmm. at least one tackle for loss. So, I mean, he's wow. in the backfield. <laughs> he's in the backfield on the regular. So that's a, that's a pretty, uh, pretty impressive streak. Yeah, I think it was the longest streak at the time. Uh, well, he had 33 and a half tackles for loss in his last three seasons in 31 games. So it's frankly amazing that he would have gotten one in every one for that long a period. Yeah. That's yeah. remarkable. He was, he, so. he was on a heater. <laughs> <laughs> you go. Okay. So he was your number four guy, yes. right? Pay is my number four guy. So we're down to number five, your guy. Jason Oway, Penn State. And this is this is the guy with probably the biggest, shiniest toolbox uh, out of maybe all of these. I mean, Rousseau is there, too. But Jason Oway might mm-hmm. kind of be even even a little bit more on that end of the spectrum. The, the pro day numbers, I'll let you speak to some of them because they're absolutely freaky. Um, mm-hmm. I mean, just start with the 40, right? 437? Like, something's got to be wrong. For two hundred, almost two hundred sixty-pound guy. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, can, can that possibly be right? I don't, it, I, it can't be consistently timed. It's just it doesn't make any sense otherwise. You know, my other concern is that how how does a guy like that get only thirteen and a half career sacks? Admittedly, he's only in he only played twenty college games. Yeah. But how does he get only thirteen and a half career sacks if he's got that kind of speed? Yeah, and that's the knock the production. Is, is definitely the knock on him. Um, so much so that he's probably the most, he's probably the guy that I struggled with the most in this age mm-hmm. class. Because I'm looking at him and not just the pro day stuff, I'm just watching him on tape before I even saw any of the pro day stuff. And I'm like, this guy is big, he's fast, he's strong. <laughs> Why don't we see more production? Why don't we see more sacks? Why don't we see more TFLs? And so I, I actually charted, I usually don't do this with prospects. I usually only do this at the NFL level. With prospects, I kind of just take notes and try to build like a summary kind of report kind of thing. But I actually charted games like I would do at the NFL level for him because I had to see like what were they asking him to do? Was it a system sort of limitation or was it him or what it was? And look, I think some of it was the system because somewhat like Michigan, he was involved in a lot of games and he was the penetrator in a lot of those stunts, right? He wasn't the loop guy, but like you and I talked about, oftentimes those penetrators get sacks. And so I don't, I didn't want to use that as an excuse. I just wanted to note that as part of his profile that, hey, he played in a system where he was the guy who was kind of picking and, and occupying blockers to free somebody else up. So I, I did notice that he was used occasionally as the pick player, but I'm going to come up with another reason. I'd say that he's also was played for a team that was terrible this year, particularly in the games he played. So they were 0-5. Other teams weren't doing a lot of passing to try and catch up as they would against Penn State normally. You know, you, you, you'd expect that. So it ends up that, that he's facing the run more. But I still have a hard time with the zero sack number. I really do. It's just it's a it's a. he's he's coming in he's one of the most highly rated pass rushers in this class and yet he had zero sacks in seven games in his uh third year of college ball yeah it's hard to reconcile there's no question about that it is absolutely hard to reconcile um and 
you know, I think we, we know we've, whether it was Ozzy. I think you heard it probably more from Ozzy. I don't know if I've heard Eric DaCosta say it as much, but Ozzy used to always say when he talked about pass rushers that he believes that sacks translate. Right, guys mm-hmm. who get sacks in college get sacks in the NFL. Well, this guy didn't get any sacks in his last year. He had yeah. some in his uh, in his previous year in 2019, but didn't have any in 2020. So, you know, it worries you a little bit. But I think you make some really good points in terms of his opportunities to rush the passer. So we did want to just mention in some of the testing numbers. So 437, 40, 34-and-a-half-inch arms. That's absurd. I mean, there's offensive tackles in this class who would dream of having 34-and-a-half-inch arms. In fact, there's very few that do. Uh, 684, three-cone, we're talking about that kind of being a, 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 the upper limit for a pass rusher if you don't have one of these weird timing situations. A 420 shuttle is right out there. Broad jump over 11 feet for, for you know, for a defensive end like this. Uh the question I would have for you is, let's say you can get by the lack of sacks in college. Is this a guy who, who has all the tools needed to drop to coverage and, and do that game and do what would be necessary to Sam linebacker at the NFL level? I think, man, he can definitely drop into coverage because I saw him do that. Uh, again, it's not something that he did a ton, but you saw him kind of dr- drop into the zone coverage, right? Sort of those shallow underneath mm-hmm. zones or out to the flat. So I think he definitely is athletic enough to do that. He didn't look awkward or uncomfortable or anything like that. Um, so I think the athleticism is there. I worry a little bit about just the the, the feel, the recognition, mm-hmm. you know, having to learn sort of route combinations and concepts and kind of being able to feel where things are and where they where they're going you know what the offense is trying to do because a lot of times there's going to be eye candy up there and if you haven't done that um you know that that can get your head spinning uh (laughs) if you're asked to do that and you haven't done it before but from a physical standpoint i think that he can do it but just there's so much to whether it's that or even you know as as a pass rusher i think the the area where he was kind of the most developed to me was against the run he is a terror in the run game an absolute terror um but he's he's a basketball player like you mentioned he he played he primarily played basketball in high school i want to say he's only been playing defensive end for three years maybe uh so you know there's there's still you know a lot to learn for him but he's got these crazy physical skills that are just I mean it's just hard you just don't see many guys that come along like this now we've talked about him for longer than anybody else so far on this show I think and what is the probability that he even lasts to number 27 I don't know you know it's the reports that I'm you're seeing out there are kind of all over the place you're seeing people saying that yeah he's probably going to go before that you're seeing other people saying well I don't think he goes until the second round I think Mm -hmm. you know media and kind of draft Twitter is is higher on him than the NFL is so I don't know Um, I I I do think the production is going to be really hard to reconcile even for um, NFL teams and, and, and NFL scouts who are trait-based. You know, that, that's what those guys look for. They look for traits, and, and he's got the traits. But I think it's going to be hard for them to reconcile that kind of, um, I guess, lack of production is, is the more accurate way to say it, to take him really high. Not real high, but even in, like, the, the top portion, kind of in that middle portion of the first round. I think people might still have some issues with that, but it only takes one team. We know that. That's right. It only takes one. And it used to be before Mike Mayock, although Mike Mayock has done some very strange things in his time drafting for the Raiders, used to be the Oakland Raiders were the team you could kind of depend on to take a trade-based guy in the first round. Darius Hayward Bay fell into the category. And uh, who's Colton? I'm forgetting what the name of the— Miller? Of the, the yeah, Colton line. Miller. He's the guy. The, the, the tackle a couple of years ago they took. So, so uh, you know, they have a history of doing that. Uh, it'd be interesting to see if, if they're a team that would, would jump in there and get him. Um, but anyway, uh, I expect if, if there's anybody I'd bet on to make the really big surprise pick of the first round, despite where the Raiders are drafting, which isn't in the top 10, I'd still expect them to be the first team to, to make a crazy draft pick after Cleveland Farrell. That's the other one who they yeah. picked at number four and probably should have been number 15 or something in that draft. And it, just we can count on them to do something, uh, something crazy. Yeah, like the Saints. Remember when the Saints took Marcus Davenport? He was top 10, wasn't he? I think he yeah, went they, pretty they, high. They traded up to get him at 14. It was, a, okay, it was, a, me, a, it was ahead of the Ravens they traded in the uh, the year that they traded down on, with Hurst. Yeah, and I'm not saying he's a bad player, uh, mm-hmm. not not by any stretch of the imagination, but, I, you know, he, he 
yeah, I'm sure he probably had more than than no sacks in his last year of college. So I think that that's gonna that's that's gonna be a tough thing for some teams to swallow. Okay, I had him. At Lowe's, we're your go-to for great gardening values every day. That's why we've lowered our price on select bagged mulch. Now starting at just $2.88 a bag. Mulch helps prevent weeds and retains moisture. And when you put it down around trees, shrubs, and flower beds, you'll see how beautiful it makes your outdoor space. Just in time to welcome back family and friends. Shop online and pick up in store. Lowe's, home to the best part of summer. Selection and product availability vary by location. While supplies last, U.S. only excludes Alaska and Hawaii. I'm at number five, and did, was was it just number five you gave there? Yeah, on we your were both list? at five. Yeah, and number six for you, Rousseau. So we already we, okay. we talked about my it number right, six so. was Basham. So we can move on. Number seven, Joe Tryon, uh, University okay. of Washington, is my number seven guy. Another guy who again looks the part, right? If you were gonna you were gonna draw up an edge rusher, an NFL edge rusher, six was he six five, two fifty nine. Mm-hmm. Uh, he, he looks the part. And uh, he played on that defense with another guy who we talked about on the defensive line uh, show, Levi on Onrizike. Uh, I'm gonna mess his name up. I'm sure that's wrong. But anyway, uh, played on that same offensive line. Tryon is is a guy to me who I think again, there's room in the toolbox, right? I think he's got the physical stature. I think he's got some athletic tools that you can work with. But I didn't see a real developed pass no, rush plan. Polished. No, <laughs> did not see a real. That's a lot of a lot of a lot of effort, a lot of motor, you know, mm-hmm. to it. Um, but a guy who's definitely got some room for development and refinement in that part of his game. But again, like you said, it depends on what you like. And and you talked earlier about the importance of hey, you got these people for for four years, or I guess if you get the fifth year option. Um, you know, you you want to get guys who have room to grow and to develop and who can get better, mm-hmm. right? So I'd put him in that category. I think there's definitely room to grow and get better for Joe Tryon. Right. And I think if you pick him in the second round, you're taking you're spending an amount of draft capital where you're not getting the benefit as much from that growth. And I'm not saying that he he doesn't have second round talent. I'm just saying because he doesn't have a polished set of moves, I want to get him in the third round and have him then, you know, or end up being a second round talent. If the talent develops more quickly than other teams figured it out, then you really get a bargain. Um, I, I, he did not make my top 12. I, I think this there's here was my problem with him, basically, was that I thought he moved too much just for the bull rush. Like he, he didn't he didn't look to disengage from the pads or make any kind of a move to get around the pads. He just depended on the bull rush to a high degree. And and that's something I really wasn't happy about. I want to see something out of him, whether it's violence of hands uh, or, or, or something that's at a higher level to get by the opponent. I, I, you know, polished moves, that'd be great. And then, of course, I'd be saying he's too polished and, you know, <laughs> we got to downgrade him for that. But um, it's not that he doesn't he doesn't have the, the good basic qualities. 22 bench reps would be a concern as far as him needing a year in an NFL weight room, but with 34-inch arms, I'd say basically that's a wash. Uh, We saw a lot of that, by the way. All positions in this draft of having lower bench rep numbers for longer arms. And I know I've seen some studies saying uh, that if you look at the draft picks, that it doesn't it doesn't seem to matter. I don't believe it. I don't believe it for a second. Any kind of weightlifting people will tell you that it's harder to do bench reps with longer arms. And I think that whatever they're doing to, to like um, uh, regress all of the drafted players has somehow truncated the sample of people who look at at the uh, uh, to look at bench reps versus arm length. So I'm not, I'm not sure exactly what's going on with there, but there's a lot of ways you can mess up the sample by just taking drafted players, for example. So uh, anyway, I, I it's not that I didn't like him. I think he's a third round pick, but he wasn't in my top 12. Yeah, what was interesting to me was I had a chance to watch a clinic, a coaching clinic that his former defensive coordinator, uh, I don't think he's at Washington anymore, Tim Kwiatkowski, Kwiatkowski, I'm screwing up his name too, Uh, but he showed a couple clips from practice and from in games with Tryon, and he was specifically doing a pass rush clinic, so that, that was his topic, and he didn't give his guys a ton of different moves. He said he really wanted them playing fast. He didn't want them thinking a whole lot. He gave them maybe two or three moves. He was the guy who who used the um, open, closed shoulder 
kind of idea. And he's like, look, if you get a closed shoulder, give him the free step, go around him and dip, right? If you get an open shoulder, convert into a bull, two-hand bull or, or you know, one-hand long-arm stab. Either way, it's basically mm -hmm. a power rush. And that was it. You basically gave him like two things. If you see this, do that. If you see that, do this. And that was it. So I don't know if some of what we don't see is because, you know, he was kind of coached to, to sort of go one of those two paths. You know, could he have more and do more that he's just like, hey, the coaches just kind of didn't want us, you know, doing that many different things. Who knows? You know, we'll see. But that was just something that, that uh, you know, was sort of interesting to me. That's, that's interesting. I've never heard of a defensive coordinator or, a, you know, outside linebackers coach, whatever it might be, limiting the pass rush options for a player and saying, look, I don't want you to use 10 different moves. Use A or B, depending on what you see. Yeah, he said when he talked about it in the clinic, he said, look, I want guys playing fast. I don't want guys out there doing trying to do four or five different moves and thinking about, OK, I'm going to do a spin here. I'm going to do this. I'm going to do that. I just want you getting off the ball and getting up the field. So he gave him a couple things that he said, look, I think with these, if you master these, I'd rather you have only two or three and absolutely master them that have 10 and be like average at all 10 of them. So that was his, his philosophy there. That's fair enough. He's got a fast development track for players at the college level. He only gets them for three years, and there is no franchise tag after that. So, <laughs> no. yeah, he's got to deal with that. Okay, I'll go to my – that was your number seven guy, correct? Correct. Okay, I'm kind of going off the board here with number seven because a lot of people consider him inside linebacker, but I'm going with Zayvon Collins of Tulsa, uh, 6'5", 256-40. He, he may end up on the inside, in which case he's going to be a Terrell Edmonds-like monster in the middle uh, with uh, unusual size, good speed, but not top-end speed for the inside linebacker position. If he goes to the edge, I think you all of a sudden you have a very interesting and potentially special player, particularly if you want to use him as a Sam linebacker. So I, I think there's value. Uh, I think he probably gets a little bit more value out of the outside linebacker position. He's definitely a guy that a lot of people are considering as a tweener, maybe a little bit um, uh, the way they did the Ravens third round pick from last year. Yeah, I, I was very tempted to put him in this group. And I would say if you had asked me two months ago, I probably mm -hmm. to say, hey, do, do a list, do a ranking back then, I probably would have had him in this group. Um, but I ended up taking him out, not because I don't think he can do it. Um, I think I got a little bit of the Kamalai Correa sort of scared me off. So yes. not, not comparing him to the player, but asking a guy to make that kind of train. Now, Kamalai went the other way. He was an edge player at Boise State. And then when he got to the Ravens, he was an edge player. But then they wanted to try him out at inside linebacker, right, off the ball linebacker, and that kind of didn't, didn't really go very well, right? So I worry about those transitions a little bit, but I don't know that I should because guys do it across the league every year. They're players who played one position in college. They bring them in, and they, they train them at another position. And, you know, they some guys – take to it right away other guys maybe not as much but it's not unusual for guys to have to do that so maybe i shouldn't worry about it so much to me it's the the outside to inside transitions harder than the inside to outside transition the inside to outside you know pretty well if the guy could do it quickly yeah and and the sam linebacker pass coverage responsibilities are always going to be less than the inside linebacker who has to have much more understanding about what's going on behind him on a regular set of plays three down basis you know, there's also the pressure uh, to be a three-down player when you're an inside linebacker. And, and you know, it, it, questions about toughness come up on whether or not he's the tackler that he needs to be playing on the inside. Uh, obviously, questions would come up about, about him being the edge guy. But I don't think there's questions about saving Collins if all you want to do is have him play with a hand in the dirt and a four-man front on third down where it's his job to either get to the quarterback or potentially to drop to coverage then um, and do some positive things for the team. I, I just I, I liked him more in that sense. I think there are questions. You know, obviously with, with Correa, they moved from a guy who was an outside linebacker in college or actually had some kind of a like a stud position. With yeah, this, which that should have that should have been a flag there. <laughs> They've had some good stud guys out there. Demarcus Lawrence was in that stud position out there. So they, they, that's just you know it's just a position name. You know, again, we talked about this. Football guys love their their terminology, so yeah. they got all these different names for stuff. But I think you, that last point that you made, particularly for Collins, he could maybe be a better fit in the Ravens kind of system than maybe mm -hmm. other types of system. The because Patriots. if Yeah, because, yeah, exactly. Because if they asked him to do the things that you described, I think he could transition to those things pretty quickly. 
Yes, sir. Okay, so that was my number seven guy. You're up on number eight. Number eight, Peyton Turner, University of Houston, uh, is my guy. Again, another guy out of central casting for the edge position. Uh, I want to say Peyton was 6'5", 270 maybe? I've got 6'6", 268 here, and that's it's all taken from the NFL draft scout things and rounded. Yeah, that's a that's that's a big it's a big man right there. Thirty five inch arms, I think, is what I saw. So I know that that's something that probably caught your eye. But what what stood out to me was watching him from twenty nineteen to twenty twenty. I think in twenty nineteen you saw this big physical guy, good good motor, good effort guy, mm-hmm. played with some power. Uh, a guy, you know, at that that height, he maybe had a little little issues in terms of Ben, as you would expect with a guy that mm-hmm. died. But then 2020, man, I, I, I don't know. He, he looked like he really was on a quest to develop more pass rush moves. Oh, yeah. And he plays could. very low and very long. And, and it looks like they worked with him. I, 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 I didn't actually watch him in 2019 to see if there was a player there who was not getting it done, but very low and very long. Yeah, no, just just a different, more polished. We used that word earlier, polished. Not that he was a bad player in 2019, but you just didn't see the kind of polish in 2019 that you saw in 2020. I mean, this guy's doing side scissors. He's doing club rips. He's doing arm overs, right? He's doing all of these different things and not just throwing moves. Some guys just throw moves and they still are stuck on blocks, right? It doesn't. It doesn't mean anything, but he's actually, you know, beating blockers with those moves. And with his length, if he can get past the blocker, mm-hmm. he's going to have an opportunity to get his hands on the quarterback, get his hands on the ball. Yeah. If it's a ball carrier, he's going to have an opportunity to make a tackle that maybe other guys won't because of his length. And he already had the motor. He had the motor in 2019, right, where he's, he's mm-hmm. going to hustle and he's going to run all over. But he didn't lose the motor. He developed more rush moves and had more of a rush plan in 2020, and it just—he's he, an ascending player. To me. Yeah, I, I love the long arms on an edge player for a lot of reasons, but one of the reasons is they can—they can generate a lot of not only tackles but meaningful missed tackles. You get your arm on that running back and you turn him 25 degrees. Well, that has an enormous benefit to the rest of your defense going there. PFF will probably mark you down for a missed tackle, but the rest of your defense will be happy that all their, their billiard balls get there and, and take the guy down. It's, uh, it's, it's pretty exciting. 35 and 3 eighths is what I have for his arms. A 673 cone? Yeah. And again, you know, we have this one kind of phony baloney 637 sitting up there in the cat class. But uh, this is this is an athlete. I think the only thing that worries me is the toe injury. I want to know the nature of that. Um, I don't know if it's ligament damage that is going to be the kind of thing that will slow him down the way John Ogden got slowed down later in his career, or if this is something that, that uh, is more – um, uh, transitional than that, and he'll be back. But uh, that was my only concern, really, about Peyton Turner. Otherwise, I think I'd have him higher. Yeah, he's he's got a little bit of that that sort of rap sheet when it comes to injuries. Tore an ACL uh, as a senior in high school, the foot injury as a sophomore at Houston. Um, I think that might be the one that you're talking about because that he he had season-ending surgery on that, and he played through this multiple broken fingers in 2019. Uh, so maybe that was a reason why I didn't see some of the hand usage in 2019 too. I mean, obviously you got a bunch of broken fingers; it's going to be difficult to be really effective with your hands. And then I think he missed a couple games as a senior with a knee and even some COVID-related stuff going on so he's he's had to deal with some stuff the last four or five years um and that that might you know maybe cause him to to slide down a little bit if if the medicals aren't clean but the player man like i said i think you're getting an ascending player and somebody who's got some tools that you can really develop all right so he was my let's see or yours yes he was both of our number eight players so who's your number nine? Oh, we both had him at number eight Look i had that. him at number eight also Look second round guy he might be the last of the second round pass rushers taken, or this next guy might make it also. All right. So my number nine guy, speaking of guys going from inside to outside, Joseph Osai from Texas mm-hmm. is my number nine guy. And it's not even a projection for him. He literally did it. Uh, in 2019, he was an off-the-ball inside linebacker for Texas, primarily. And then in 2020, they moved him to their jack position in their three-forward scheme, uh, where he's basically an outside uh, linebacker, edge type of player. So He's made that transition from inside to outside, and he's a guy. When you, do, I, I talked about motor and effort with Turner. I mean, Ozai, it's on another level. 
I mean, the, <laughs> the energy that this guy plays with chasing right. down plays from behind. You can see because he made that transition from, from off the ball inside to on the ball that the pass rush moves, the hand timing, the hand placement, that stuff is still pretty much a work in progress. Mm-hmm. Uh, getting off blocks um, from, from bigger players like offensive tackles, that's still pretty much a work in progress. But his motor, I mean, if you put if you say he's like your weak side sort of player and you're just going to say, hey, look, anything that goes away from you, chase it down. And he'll, he'll do it. I mean, he, he literally will run pie guys who are on the other side of the play, right? They start out on the strong side, and you think they'd be there. He'll run past those guys on tape to make the play. <laughs> so the effort, uh, you, you, you love that. But there definitely is some 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 work to be done uh, in terms of the kind of, of stuff you'd want to see from, from a more polished edge guy. Yeah, so a rush linebacker, in your opinion, not a Sam. And, and the speed number would tell me that he's probably a rush guy only. I, I loved him too. Loved the arm, like he's he's shaking. His, he's not, he's nodding his head. Yes, I should say. <laughs> um, you know, the motor is an interesting thing because there are strength concerns with him. Only 19 bench reps. Um, I, his arm, like that, doesn't explain that. That that's a terrible number. Um, he did play a lot of snaps, and it's the kind of thing where if he played rotationally, and that is the way it'd be in the Ravens system, I think they'd want him to do a lot of things. They'd want him, he's an excellent run defender, he can certainly be a bell cow in terms of the total number of snaps played, whereas a player like Bowser is a more situational player. They may ask him to do more this year, but I think he's, still, he's not a guy you want to ask to play 65% of the snaps, where I think, Osai, you could, you could ask to play 60% of the snaps, I just wouldn't want to ask him to play 80% of the snaps. Yeah, the uh, and, and I wonder if you know, some some of that weight room situation for him was, you know, a guy who trained primarily as an inside linebacker uh, mm-hmm. until his last year there where he was kind of on the edge. Um, and, I mean, look, you're, you talk about effort and you talk to you, – you hear coaches talk about players. You, they're going to generally say positive things about their players, right, because it looks good, it's good for recruiting, right? These guys mm-hmm. get drafted. The higher they get drafted, the better it is for them uh, in terms of recruiting. But they said this guy's effort is – not good, not great, phenomenal. <laughs> so they said okay. this is just I, a I, you know, hopefully, hopefully you end up getting Michael McCrary, and hopefully this defensive coordinator knows to play Michael McCrary a few less snaps. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. So he's, he, he was my number nine guy. Okay, mine also. So we are in lockstep on number eight and number nine. Who's your number 10 guy? I had a hedge. <laughs> That's okay. You I named him before the show, and we have the same guy. If you named it, if you're sticking with him, if you don't, I'll, I'll name somebody else anyway. He he was he's the same guy, but I, I had the slash because the other guy suffered an injury uh, in training, you know, for leading up to the draft. So uh, Deo Abayingo is 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 the guy who I really wanted to have there, but I went with Ronnie Perkins because Ronnie Perkins would have been like an eleven for me. He would have been right underneath. Um, but I, so I, Ronnie Perkins is is who I have at ten, Oklahoma. Um, he's another guy who, you know, not, I want to say, was he 6'2"? Was he in that 6'2 so range? Yeah, 6'2", yeah. 253. So he's six a two. smallish guy. Yeah, so, so more of that undersized kind of edge guy. But I think what I saw was a guy who's got a pretty good toolbox of pass rush moves. Now, he's a guy who's got a couple different moves, right? He's probably got three, four, five moves that he can throw and uses them all pretty well. Um, I think consistency was the big issue that I saw mm-hmm. with him. Like, when he's... He's locked in and dialed in. I remember watching the Oklahoma State game against Tevin Jenkins. That was a battle. Mm-hmm. Those guys didn't always line up against each other on every single snap, uh, certainly not in every pass rush situation. But when they did, it was an absolute battle. And there was a long-arm bull rush where he almost put Tevin Jenkins on his butt. So I think, you know, the, the, the ability is there. But, you know, you worry about that consistency. He had a little bit of an off-field issue where he had a six-game suspension for a failed drug test. So At the Peach Bowl of all places. Yeah, so some, yeah of all places. So some of that can just be maturity stuff. Um, you know, you never know. They're all young guys. But, um, yeah, I, 10, 11, he's, he's right in that, that range for me. Okay. I, I like Perkins as well. What I like is, and, and this, I, this I don't mind. In fact, I like it when I see a guy who's got – Obviously, a set of moves. He has polish as a pass rusher. He had really ascending production numbers of each year. So when I see a guy like that, I think work ethic. That that's a guy who's really working at his craft as well. Is it is it a problem that the guy's you know come pretty or he's pretty far along as a pass rusher when he first makes the NFL? Well, I think you, you're going to get the value out of this guy on the first contract, and you don't worry too much about that. Uh, it, it, you might worry about does it completely translate to the NFL level? 
That would be a bigger question. But the work ethic is there, and I think he'll, he'll probably be fine, and that's why he was my number 10 guy. Uh, I don't think he has the speed to be a Sam at 471, so I think he's, he's strictly a um, rush linebacker. Yeah. I agree. Uh, he'll be 22 in September, so that's the right age. It's not too old. It's not too young. But he's he's 21 when, he's, when on the day he's drafted. Uh, I, you know, I think there was enough positive uh, to say about him for me to have him at number 10. Probably an early third round guy would be my guess on Perkins. Maybe the middle of the third round. Yeah, I agree. I agree. I, I agree with everything you said there. I, I tried to slide Deo in. Uh, Deo. Uh, Odangbo, I think is the mm-hmm. Odangbo. pronunciation from Vanderbilt. He was one of the very first guys that I watched, like really, really early on, and that was almost by accident because I was looking at Elijah Moore, the receiver, and uh, Ole Miss was playing Vanderbilt, and I'm looking at this defensive lineman. I'm like, this guy's wrecking shop in there. Who is this mm-hmm. guy? So then I kind of started to watch a couple more games, and you know, again, you talk about build. You know, 6'5", 285, 35 and a quarter inch yeah. arms. I mean, this guy, this is... So, I think for a long time, Ravens fans, I, I don't know about the team per se, but Ravens fans who, who've been fans of the team for a while, you've been looking for that Trevor Price 5 tech. Mm-hmm. You've been trying to find that guy for a long time. And, you know, they, they signed Calais Campbell, you know, and, and Calais certainly has the build and all the physical ability to, to, to play in that role as well as, you know, kick inside. But Odeyingbo, Odangbo, excuse me, Odangbo could be the guy who I thought, man, if you could get that guy in as a rookie and have him work behind or work in, you know, a rotation with uh, the defensive lineman that they have right now, you could develop kind of that guy, right? Even with Trevor mm-hmm. Price, they signed him. I mean, he wasn't, he wasn't a homegrown guy. Right. Um, so I'm just thinking, man, this could be that next guy because Calais, I mean, Calais has already played a long time. I don't know how many more years he wants to play. Uh, but, you you know, that's an important – I know you not a ton of five-tech st- uh, five snaps anymore, but even if that guy can sort of widen out on occasion, right? You think about Pernell McPhee mm-hmm. a little bit. Now, Pernell's not 285 pounds. Uh, but you think about somebody who can kind of maybe stand up off the ball a little bit. He did a little bit of that at Vanderbilt. I mean, he played all over the defensive line at Vanderbilt. So I was excited, but uh, unfortunately he did suffer that injury. And I don't know if he's even going to be recovered in, in time for a training camp. I don't, I don't right. know what the prognosis is on that. Yeah, I, I haven't heard either, but, uh, but he had an Achilles injury in January. Uh, McPhee is a name that comes up with a lot of guys because McPhee has a lot of extreme positive qualities for pass rushers, including being inside or outside, good run guy, good length, knows how to go one arm, all of that stuff, dictate first contact, violent hands. He has a lot of the characteristics you look for in a pass rusher. So I keep making comparisons to him in the guys I'm watching a lot of the time. But Odangbo, you know, did have that kind of tweener McPhee size where he could have been an outside linebacker, could be an inside guy on third down, I think. Uh, You know, the season he suffered through at Vanderbilt, and they went winless, I believe, for the year. They were 0-9 or something. But if, even if they won a game, and I'm, I'm wrong about that, the big, big news from Vanderbilt this year was the female kicker. Yeah. You know, it wasn't it wasn't anything about that team. They, they suffered through a very difficult year in the SEC. And, you know, they, they Odangbo was their one big defensive standout on that team. Uh, and and he, it was, it's got to be a difficult position to succeed in in ways that are really visible. So a lot of, uh, you know, things you'd have in terms of production, you just can't put those same kind of standards on Odangbo. I do think he'd fit within the Ravens race car. Yeah, yeah, I do too. And, yeah, he, you know, when I look at guys who play in college and, um, you know, whether they're edge players or they, or they reduce inside in certain situations, when I see guys play that four-eye, that sort of inside shade yeah. of a tackle, you're not going to get a ton of pass rush production uh, from, from that spot. That's a tough spot to rush the passer from because uh, obviously, you know, you've, you've got the guard who can sometimes come over and help the tackle right there on the inside. And so guys try to work back outside. Well, now you got to cross this guy's mm-hmm. face, right? When you're starting on the edge, you already have a little bit of a natural angle to help you out there. He's got to come out to you and cut you off. But that four eye, now you got to go out across his face and then get maybe a little bit more width yeah. to try to create that angle. It's just a really tough spot. And he rushed from there. And so sometimes I note that, like how many times the guy might do that in a game and say, look, if you let this guy really come off the edge, you know, we might see a little bit more production. A four eye is really, in some ways, is more of a scheme spot, isn't it? In terms of what you're doing to help somebody else rush the passer yeah. oftentimes. Yep, absolutely. 
All right. Uh, so I think that's our top 10 here. Anybody else you just want to mention? Because, hey, you like a lot of players and there's somebody else. I do like a lot of players. I mean, I I had a bunch of these like, okay, 11A, B, C, D. <laughs> so it was, it was guys like Rashard Weaver and Patrick Jones, both of those guys from Pittsburgh, Janarius Robinson, Josh Kando, Quincy Roche, Chauncey Golston. I mean, I had all of these guys. Um, but I guess if I pick one guy and I, I give a nod to a guy who you had on the show, AC Slade, at Big Play Receiver on Twitter, he's a big Janarius Robin guy, uh, Janarius Robinson guy from Florida State. He just likes the tools. He likes the physical makeup. Again, another fast track, I guess, down there in Florida State in terms of the testing numbers for him and Kane Doe. I think Kane Doe's a local guy. Uh, I think he's got mm-hmm. some kind of Maryland tie. Uh, but Robinson, um, probably in that 6'4", 6'5", range, 250, 260, um, you know, put up some really good numbers. And both of those guys were on the same team there at Florida State. And when I watched them, I don't have their numbers up in front of me, so I can't tell you whether there was a lot of production or not. But when I watched them, it just seemed like there was a lot of kind of untapped potential man, these guys have some physical ability, but you just don't see them put it all together. Um, you know, you see some plays, some splash plays here or there, but it just seems like, man, there's some more some, some more room for these guys really to kind of reach a, a different level. Okay, so I, I got two more guys I just want to mention briefly because I, I spent a little bit extra time watching them together play because I thought these are two guys who should have had some opportunities to rush the passer where the other team had to scheme it up well to stop them. And that's uh, uh, Sample, Cameron Sample of mm. Tulane and Patrick, Patrick Jones. Jones yeah. and, and, and they're both off my list after I watched the Tulsa game. And so they, Tulsa came into that game ranked 225. And Sample, who wears number five, if you want to watch the game, and, and Patrick Jones, who wears number seven, um, they just got stonewalled way too much for my lucky. They just, it, it, it was a quality opponent, and that's obviously something you want to see out of these mid-tier conferences is watch them actually play a quality opponent. And, you know, they just did not look particularly good. They're getting pushed around a lot. If I had anything positive to say, it would be that Sample did some good things in coverage. But, uh, but that was, you know, covering a running back, and I look at his 479.40, and I'm going, that's not going to translate to the NFL. So I, I, I just... I know that people like those two players, but I'm going to be Mr. Negative and say that's two guys I would stay away from until the later rounds. Yeah, Cam Sample, sort of a, a tweener body type, 6'2", 267. You know, a bigger on the, a little bit on the heavier side in terms of weight, but um, not, not great height uh, from the edge position. And I think, I know I keep saying this, but I, I just happened to see a lot of these this year. I saw a clinic that their former defensive coordinator came to. I think he got fired uh, from Tulane, and I forget where he's at now. Uh, but he talked about those guys and some of the different things that he had them do, too. And again, maybe not the most advantageous system to really show off, like just like pure pass rushing technique. Um, you know, not not that it was. Uh, I mean, it was obviously a defense that wasn't good enough for him to keep his job in that last year. I think they were a little bit better in 2019. But I saw some of that four eye stuff, some of the, some of that real tight shade five tackle five technique stuff, um, and it can it can be hard. It can be hard to really get a lot of pass rush from from some of those spots. But um, yeah, I, I I think just kind of where we started at the top. Like these are probably going to be guys, you know, that go in the later rounds. But you still have an opportunity to get some guys who can come in and develop uh, and and probably help the team in some way, even in these later rounds. I mean, we're talking about these guys. I don't even know Mm -hmm. where they're going to go. I don't know if they're fifth round, sixth round, where you know, where they're going to go. But um, they're going to be able to make a team somewhere, I think. Oh, sure. Yeah, I'm not I'm not I'm definitely not saying that. I'm just saying I was unimpressed with their. You know, with one particular game against a pretty good opponent where, you know, one of the things you're concerned about is what's the quality of opponents for these guys. Yeah. Uh, This this is another question. And when we did the other one, I believe, on the defensive line, I made a point to stick him in at number five because there weren't a whole lot of good defensive line prospects. The notion that the Ravens would draft somebody from a small school that we're not really aware of that probably didn't play in 2020. The power five opt outs are well known. In terms of where they have, and they also, you know, probably had more of a pedigree before, even just for the fact that they ended up at power five schools. But do you think there are a fair number of edge guys, maybe that DaCosta has his eyes on uh, in terms of their small school scouting that didn't get to play in 2020 and maybe showed something in 2019? I wouldn't be surprised. I mean, I'm not going to I'm not going to sit here and pretend like I know any names. I don't. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I would not be surprised just because we know that's kind of been a specialty. Uh, of his in particular. So, yeah, you got to think because a lot of these smaller school programs just. 
All right, that's a bummer. We lost Michael Crawford there at the end, but uh, uh, outstanding episode. Want to applaud him for his great work on the draft and all his uh, excellent work he gives us during this season. He's at Abukari, A-B-U-K-A-R-I on Twitter. Make sure you give him a follow. His other content he's got outside for this draft with us and also uh, charting the Ravens run game and doing a wonderful piece on that that he did with Josh Mustyko. Give that a chance out there on the video content on filmstudybaltimore.com. We have all sorts of other draft content from this year that's out there and uh, that's everything we got right now prior to the draft night itself uh, when we'll be hosting uh, a uh, show on draft night to look at the Ravens first round from a Ravens centric perspective. So we'll look at the whole first round and really think about how does that pick affect the Baltimore Ravens, which is what Ravens fans, I think, care about. And that'll be a lot of fun. Uh, we're staying mum on the guests at this point, and uh, we'll have some great folks, though. I guarantee you that. And then on day two, we're, we're planning to have a larger watch party. So if you're a fan and you'd like to be involved in that, uh, send me something on Twitter and, and, uh, and we'll talk about it. Anyway, uh, thanks for joining us again, and we'll talk to you next time on Film Study. At Lowe's, we're your go-to for great gardening values every day. That's why we've lowered our price on select bagged mulch, now starting at just $2.88 a bag. Mulch helps prevent weeds and retains moisture. And when you put it down around trees, shrubs, and flower beds, you'll see how beautiful it makes your outdoor space. Just in time to welcome back family and friends. Shop online and pick up in-store. Lowe's, home to the best part of summer. Selection and product availability vary by location. While supplies last, U.S. only. Excludes Alaska and Hawaii. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Save big on your Memorial Day barbecue, all in the Kroger app. Get three-pound rolls of juicy 80% lean ground beef for $3.49 a pound with a digital coupon. Then get select varieties of flavorful Powerade, Body Armor Super Drink, or Arizona tea for 77 cents each, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today, or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details.